Last week here on Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse began a journey with us through a series called God's Design for Marriage and Family. We started a foundation last week as to why we need to start in Genesis chapter 2. So today we'll do just that, start in Genesis chapter 2 as we take a look at God's design for marriage and family. In Genesis chapter 2, God lays out his purpose for marriage, and it predates civilizations and cultures, which should tell us something. We invite you to join us today here on Graceful Truth as Pastor Steve Converse continues with our series, God's Design for Marriage and Family. There is a purpose, and the purpose is God-designed, not human-designed. So let's take a look at that purpose today, shall we? A lot of purposes, actually. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with more on today's program. We're really told here about God's thinking. We're seeing behind the curtain. You know, when your kids get in trouble and you say, what were you thinking? (laughs) I don't know. You know, but you want to know what would cause you to do that. Well, God's telling us what caused him to do this. It's interesting because seven times in chapter 1, Moses says this, and God saw that it was good. His creation was good. And you read through chapter 1, and after each day there almost, you pick up that amazing reality that God's continuing to say, it's good, it's good, it's good. So it's shocking when you get to chapter 2 of Genesis and you discover, well, wait a minute, something's not good. (laughs) How did that slip through the, the deal here? Only God knows what is good for us. And he says, here in his word, man's greatest need is a relationship. He says it's not good for man to be alone. So when it comes to marriage, man's greatest need, the greatest purpose behind marriage is relationship. Now why is this relationship so important, you may ask? Well, remember... We were made, what, in the image of God himself, were we not? Back in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1, that's recorded. In chapter 5, verse 1, that's mentioned as well in Genesis. But one thing it means for sure is that we were made for relationships. See, there's this constant fellowship and relationship among the members of the Trinity, They don't go to their three corners, never talk to each other. They don't ever interact. To be made in God's image means to be made for that kind of relationship. I mean, if you you want a taste of the nature of the relationship between the members of the Trinity, read John 17. It tells us very clearly. Turn over there, John 17, because this is a, a good section of Scripture to really see the interacting nature of the Trinity itself. And it gives us a perspective of the relationship that we should be experiencing within our marriages. Now, this is the night of our Lord's crucifixion. This is his great high priestly prayer to his father. And notice the relationship between the son and the father. They're beginning in verse 22. It says, 
The glory that you have given me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. See that relationship? I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and I love them as you loved me. He says, Father, I desire they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you, have known that you have sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. What's that about? It's about relationship. He's talking about his relationship with his father, his relationship with those who are saved. See, in marriage, this is the great goal. It is a deep, intimate, abiding relationship with your spouse. That doesn't just happen. We're not talking about two people that live under the same roof. We're not talking about just hanging out together at Home Depot, looking at how to upgrade the bathroom. We're talking about the sharing of two hearts, the sharing of two lives. Now, I'll just be honest. I'll talk to men. Men, <laughs> we don't have a clue about relationship. We just don't. We're not geared that way. I mean, I've sat down with husbands and wives for counseling, and there is the wife in tears. She says something like this, you know, I just don't know how much longer I can stand this marriage because we don't have a relationship. And you look over and you know what's going to happen. And you're praying it doesn't, but you know it's coming. The husband gets this shocked look on his face and he looks over and he looks back at me and he's like, I thought we had a great relationship. <laughs> We've all done that. At the, what are you talking about? We don't have a clue. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, what's happening there? There could be a couple different possibilities. Maybe the wife is kind of has this romancy idea about what the nature of her relationship to her husband should be. But secondly, and I think this is more common, the husband wouldn't know a relationship if it walked up and kissed him in the face. Because men don't understand relationships. And frankly, they don't care. That's just bottom line. Stuart Scott wrote this. In his book, The Exemplary Husband, some of you men have been through that with our men. Maybe we should go through it again, but that was a, boy, that was a tough one. But he wrote this, some husbands have excused themselves from their God-given responsibilities with deceptions. What's he talking about? He's talking about responsibilities and relationship. With deceptions such as, it shouldn't take so much effort to be together, or my wife should be thrilled that I'm her faithful provider and protector. Why can't that satisfy her? Or I don't really need relationships because, you know, I'm just not a needy kind of person. If that's how we think, men, we're dangerously close to really blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Because remember what I said, they have relationship. <laughs> and as a man, we have a tendency to say, ah, we don't need that stuff. 
The relationship exists between the Trinity not because they're weak, (laughs) but because that's God's ideal. They have such a deep, abiding relationship. Well, what are the two greatest commandments in the Bible? Remember this, Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And then what? And the second is like it. What does it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. What is that? It's relationship. In other words, the most important things in life, beloved, are from God's perspective. This is God's point of view. Our relationships. Our relationship to God and our relationship to others. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the car and the house. It's not about the job. But not only did Christ tell us that these things were important, but he showed us in how he lived. I think if we were to take a look at Christ's to-do list, it would be a whole lot different than ours. Vastly different. Because we live in a different world, and our priorities unfortunately, haven't been established by God. Um, Christ's life was all about his father and people. Everywhere he went, he was interested in people. And what's the goal of our, 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 our lives? To be Christ-like. To be Christ-like. It doesn't just mean moral purity, although it includes that, obviously. It also means to imitate Christ. Paul says what? Follow me. Imitate me as what? What's he say? As I imitate Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Well, let's just put this bluntly. Both men and women, you know what? We can't be a godly Christian without being committed to relationship. And that starts with your spouse. That starts within the boundaries of your marriage. If you were to ask this question, who's your best friend? Who is the one with whom you talk about everything? Whom is the one who knows what you're thinking before you even say it or how you're feeling by the look on your face? I mean, I'm not a big touchy-feely kind of guy, but my wife can read me like a book. My fears, my hopes, I would never tell anybody, but I would tell my wife. And she would hopefully say the same thing about me. See, that's the way every Christian marriage should be because the first purpose God had in mind for marriage was relationship. Well, what runs as adversaries to this relationship? What comes against it? What are the enemies of this kind of relationship? Well, there's a couple. I listed them there. One just fleshly thinking and living over in Galatians chapter 5 there's a list of the deeds of the flesh and just mark it down if you got problems in your marriage these are part of the problem it's just very simple Um, it, it points out your enmity strife jealousy outbursts of anger disputes you ever have any of those pop up their ugly heads in your marriage I'm sure you have I know I have in mine That describes most of the problems that we end up counseling marital couples with. If you live according to your flesh, if you're not obedient to the scripture, then you're getting yourself ready for really a a bad marriage. That's not a good choice. 
Because the works of the flesh are always opposed to the works of God. And God wants good relationships, not bad. So ask yourself, are you living according to the flesh? But I think one of the second enemies of this is pride. Pride. And pride really comes in three forms there. I wrote it down for you in your outline. I thought it was pretty important. Self-exalting pride, when you exalt yourself above all others. Self-centered pride, you're just focused on you and you alone, what makes you happy. You don't care about anybody else. It doesn't have to be in an arrogant, boastful way, but pride can can be absolutely self-centered and also self-effacing. See, all these things... That's kind of the inside out of pride, but the person's still focusing on themselves. Pride will hurt your marriage every time. The third thing here that are enemies in any relationship in marriage is simply selfishness. Selfishness. Looking at what you can get out of your marriage, not concerned about anything else Um, and a lot of times in counseling that's the one thing that comes to the surface either the husband or the wife will say you know what I didn't sign up for this I don't want this this isn't what I expected you know I'm not getting any younger why do I have to put up with this I want what I want it's that kind of attitude that is totally opposite to what The thinking of God is as recorded in the scripture. Totally opposite. 1 Corinthians 7, you know, to turn there, but verses 33 and 34 says, those who are married should be seeking to please their spouses. Not themselves, their spouses. Paul says the wife seeks to please her husband and the husband seeks to please his wife. I mean, how would you rate your your relationship with your spouse? Little test. You're the best of intimate friends. Maybe you're warm acquaintances who share much in common and enjoy being together. Maybe you're casual acquaintances who share common space and common responsibilities, kind of like roommates, co-workers. Four, maybe you're competitors, always looking for a weaker weakness in, in, in the other to gain control or advantage could possibly even be settled enemies living under the same roof. I've seen a couple of couples that way. That's not pretty at all. Where would you rank your relationship with your spouse? Better question is where would your spouse rank your relationship? (laughs) Where would your spouse rank that relationship? See, we all could say, well, you know, it's been a sordid gamut of all those, but we should be striving to, for number one, we should be striving to be the best of intimate friends in our relationship. Well, the second purpose here of marriage is not just for relationship, but we see this in verse 18, Genesis 2 as well, is help, help. Um, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone I will make him a, what's it say? Helper, helpmate, helper. 
The Hebrew word there translated help or helper usually uh, refers to divine assistance, God helping man. Only in a couple places in the Old Testament do they speak of man helping man. Kind of interesting. So it's, it's pretty unusual um, that Moses would use this word to refer to wives helping their husbands. Um, and that's this responsibility that it's talking about. Wives were created by God to help their husbands. Now, I know, ladies, you may be getting a little, uh, don't like that. But Paul says it very bluntly in 1 Corinthians eleven nine. 9. He says, for indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for man's sake. I mean, don't shoot me, right? I'm just reading you God's word. So some of you are kind of looking at me with daggers in your eyes. That's what the Bible says. But we have to understand it. If you're honest, as you sit there, ladies, your blood pressure is probably going up a little bit. When you hear God describe your role as a helper to your husband, probably your, your first tendency is to think that there's something wrong there. That goes against everything you're hearing. There are women in this country, there are women in this city, hopefully there are women, or there are no women in our church, but who would want to lash out at those, hearing those words. They would want to hurt the messenger. To help does not imply that the helper is inferior. This is very important. In fact, I think Christ forever elevates the role of the helper when he says on the night before his crucifixion in John 14, 6, he says to his disciples, what's he going to do? I'm going to send you another helper. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, ladies, is, is on the same level as you as a helper. I mean, that's a pretty incredible role. But he says another helper. Who was the first helper? Jesus Christ himself. God says in the person of his son, I'm here to help you. And the spirit is here to help you. And you know what, wives? You're called to do the same thing to your husband, to be his helper. What a blessing that is. Now in what sense was the woman created to be the helper to the husband? That's that's the question. There's a lot of different views on this. Augustine, all the way back in the early church, suggested that the wife was to help primarily in the task of bearing children. Now, I don't know if you'd support that or not, because he says, well, the command is to be fruitful and multiply. But, you know, I don't think men help very much when the woman's actually bearing a child. <laughs> Ladies, you do all that work. We kind of stand there and, uh, you know, what do we do? Um, another view teaches that the wife is to help in the sense of cultivating and keeping the garden. That Eve was created to help Adam cultivate and keep the garden. Remember in, in Genesis 2.15, he was commanded to do that. And they say that's the help that she was created for. Another view sees wives as helping by providing support in the widest possible sense. I think the last one really nails it down. Since nowhere does Scripture limit the sphere of the wife helping her husband, I think it's just a general statement. You're to be a helper to your husband. And when you look at the role of the, the wife's help in Proverbs 31, it's huge. I mean, that lady's doing a lot of stuff. She cre she's created as his helper. 
Now, God does give us some clarification on exactly what this help looks like in Titus 2. We're, we're told, when you look at that, that passage over there in, in uh, verse 3, um, it, it, it's, it's Paul talking to Titus, and he says that the older women are living a certain way, and older women, back then, basically anybody over 60. So sorry, if you're over 60, in the Bible, you're considered an old, older woman. That's, that's kind of standard. And it says that the older women are to encourage or literally train the younger woman. That's what you're called to do. Younger women being under 60. So we have both gamuts here, even in our small little church. We have women that are over 60. We have women who are under 60. The biblical model was for the women who are over 60, the older women, they should be training the younger women in life and godliness. Well, how do they do that? It tells us right there in Titus 2, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. I mean, that's pretty clear. Even over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul makes the same point to Timothy in verse 14 of 1 Timothy 5. He says, therefore, I want younger widows to get married. Okay, these are women who have lost their husband, they're widowed, their husband passed, their husband died, and they're still at a young age. He says, I want them to get married, to bear children, to keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. See, today in our society, unfortunately, too many wives are pursuing their own interests. They're giving up the concept of helping their husbands, and they're pursuing their own interests. They're pursuing their own careers. And sadly, unfortunately, many husbands are kind of doubling down on that, encouraging their wives in their self-serving interests for economic reasons, especially here in the Bay Area. Usually both people in the household have to work just for cost. But I don't want you to misunderstand what Paul or what I am saying here this morning. Because women, wives, are more than capable of pursuing careers very gifted, very able. They're more than capable of pursuing their own interests. I'm just saying that's not what God designed is. That's not what God's design is. I'm not saying, and I don't believe Paul is saying here, he's not saying that you can never, under any circumstances, work outside the home. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I'm simply saying that when you read these passages, it's pretty clear that God's design is that you build your own life helping your husband. That you not build your own life separate from that within the confines of marriage. The wife's first priority in life is to be a helper to her husband. Whether that looks, you know, it can take different forms. Maybe she takes on training the children or running the family business, whatever it is, keeping home, serving alongside her husband in ministry, whatever it might be. But that should be the focus of your life, even if you have a job. See, it's not saying you can't work outside the home. But I've seen a lot of families crumble quickly because what happens? Dad's working 24-7. Because of financial strain, mom's working 24-7. Who watches the kids? Well, they're farmed out to some daycare somewhere. 
And then, you know, everybody comes home at night, and usually mom and dad are so bushed, there's no relationship thing going on at all. And it, it just doesn't work. That's not God's ideal. So if you want to do that, ladies, that's fine. But realize your first priority is in the home. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth is the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City.